We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com. Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you. You're doing really well. Proud of you. Formerly counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Good morning. And the government shutdown is looming. And Representative Chip Roy, our good friend from Texas, posted a thread on X, formerly known as Twitter, saying that in 12 days funding expires. The question is what we demand to fund it. My position is that we must seek substantive wins on, among other things, the border, DOD wokeness, DOJ weaponization and spending cuts to support funding. Hashtag no security, no funding. And then uh, he goes on to explain. But we have Representative Chip Roy with us this morning. Good morning, sir. And, uh, you know, there's been a lot of back and forth from different GOP representatives uh, on what exactly a continuing resolution should or shouldn't contain. So what's going on and what should we know about it? Well, good morning, John. Great to be on the show. Appreciate you and appreciate what you uh, what you do for this country and, and for standing strong. Um, Thank you. Look, we're um, uh, in the middle of a uh, uh, debate about what to do now about uh, what are we about, uh, you know, 10 days from the end of the quarter. And that's when government funding will lapse. Um, I've been a part of shutdowns before. Um, I have no problem with going into shutdowns. Uh, uh, think that it's actually a good tool to try to force change, try to extract uh, change out of the executive branch uh, using the power of the purse. I've not been quiet about that. Um, I think we've set up the ability for us to try to leverage and get change. But but there's a point at which we have reached a tactical disagreement in the conservative uh, flank of the Republican conference in which my belief was we have to find a way to work together to give some cover to the more moderate members of our conference and, frankly, ourselves to go to war if we're going to head into a shutdown, where we, we create a message, a message in which we're cutting spending. It's not a CR. That's actually a misnomer. It's extending government funding, yes, at an 8% cut to non-defense, non-veteran spending. Think about that. Never done that in the history of the country. And on top of it, a hardcore border security bill that would be massive advance, uh, advancement in terms of our border law. We've never done that either. So that was my position. OK, call me crazy. Call me, you know, a sellout rhino. That was my cra- That was my position. Unfortunately, we didn't get agreement on that. We had agreement uh, across the conference, but we had a handful of, of my colleagues who broke. So now we don't have that as a vehicle to message and browbeat Chuck Schumer, browbeat Democrats for uh, not securing our border and making that the central fight of a shutdown. 
So now what I think is going to occur, Jenna, and I'm not, I may be wrong, we're, we're not sure yet, is that we very well may end up with some of our moderates, small group, cutting a deal to keep government funded at roughly current levels and likely maybe with some emergency funding and maybe even some Ukraine funding. Um, and that's what we end up with, at least into December, rather than being able to stand on a ground and fight to advance to get some of our conservative priorities and or um, border security. That's the position we're in. I'm sitting in a room right now. Um, well, not right at this minute. I was till about 10 o'clock last night. I'm heading in about 30 minutes to a room in the Capitol to see if we can come to some consensus on a top line number. Uh, stuff we should have been doing in July and August. I mean, I, and I've told the speaker, I think that 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 was a that was a uh, mistake um, that we're we're up against the wall. But some of us are trying to uh, see if we can find a place to come together to land the plane. But just one last point: everyone out there in the conservative movement, quote unquote, a lot of those folks are my friends, and they're they're saying a lot of the right things and trying to figure this out. There's a lot of people out there in the Twitter sphere, which you know, frankly, isn't real, who are uh, taking a lot of shots. And uh, just, you know, so they know, you know, doesn't make a difference to me. You know, I've got a job to do. And the people out there taking shots, uh, basically, they can kiss my rear end. <laughs> and good for you. I love that attitude because I saw all of that on social media yesterday as well. And, you know, calling you a rhino and all this other stuff. And it's it's so hilarious to me that uh, anybody who is called a rhino is at this moment in time, contrary to whoever the person um, is calling you a rhino, th- their particular position. But as soon as they agree with you, then you'll be the most conservative person ever. And so the shifts and, and changes, and it's vague as much as, you know, they think that the Constitution is fluid. I mean, their definitions, it's it's almost like they use liberal leftist tactics. And um, and I think it's ridiculous. And, and uh, personally stand with you and know that you are one of uh, the best conservatives on Capitol Hill. And in fact, um, Senator Mike Lee uh, retweeted uh, that post of mine, um, expressing that as well and his support for you. And I thought that was uh, really great to see conservative colleagues on the Hill uh, rally with you. So where is the speaker in all of this? Because, you know, we have a very slim Republican majority. And isn't it kind of his job to to whip the votes and make sure that he can actually leverage this, even though there are more moderate members? Well, I certainly think that um, that uh, that's a fair characterization, and I believe the speaker needed to have uh, previously and needs now to take a more active hand. Um, it's not enough to say, hey, uh, we're going to be bottom up, which I appreciate bottom up in terms of taking in all the information. But you can't be so bottom up that you're not then at the top of the pyramid, that you're not navigating and pushing the conference through to get it done. When he is engaged earlier this year to force to get something done, we have been able to accomplish some pretty extraordinary things. H.R. 2, border security bill being a good example, a conservative National Defense Authorization Act that did a whole lot of the things I was describing about defunding abortion tourism and defunding transgender surgeries, and, uh, defunding critical race theory, things like that. We've been able to get that done. And, and look, let me give you another example. The Speaker honored his commitment to put conservatives on the Appropriations Committee, put conservatives on the Rules Committee. So we just had a Department of Defense funding bill on the floor yesterday that we Republicans did not muster the votes for. And as a result, we didn't pass it. 
that Department of Defense bill, it's it spent a little more than I would have preferred, but it was a less than three percent increase, um, and and which is far less than what the Hawks want. It didn't have any meaningful Ukraine funding in it, no supplemental. It had a small amount, which I would have rather been out, and we had some amendments to strike it, so we could have seen what happened. And uh, unfortunately, we voted it down, which means we didn't get the changes and the riders in there passed out of the House that would have cut the funding for abortion tourism, cut the funding for transgender surgeries, cut the funding for chief diversity officers, cut the funding for critical race theory. Look, at some point, there's an old line from a country song. It might have been Billy Joe Shaver in Texas, where he said something like, you're so heavenly minded, you're no, you're no uh, good on good. Earth, or something yep. like that. No earthly and, good. And uh, Yeah, exactly. Thank you. And um, uh, that's kind of the way I feel right now, right? At some point, you got to kind of take a step back and get on the ride and navigate through it and uh, try to t- be willing to take a win because you've, of the work you've previously done. Um, and that's what I'm trying to work through with my colleagues right now. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of these heartbeat bills in, you know, Florida, Iowa, Georgia, and elsewhere where, you know, some of these uh, pro-life advocates are saying, well, unless it's a total ban, then, you know, that was a compromise. And I'm thinking, well, it's saving, you know, millions of lives. That's a good start. And then you can build on that. And so what about these people who are suggesting that um, some, some of your colleagues and you on the Hill are uh, not paying attention as much to uh, DOJ weaponization and defunding um, the special counsel and, and some of those uh, lines of attack. Well, I would agree that we're not getting that done. And I would suggest that what they're going to get is the worst thing of all, which is the fully funded department of justice at last year's levels as passed with the priorities and the policy riders of Nancy Pelosi. That's where we're headed. What we're trying to do is pull off of that. The proposal we put forward would have cut the Department of Justice by 8%. There is no better way to target a Department of Justice that's weaponized than to cut almost a tenth of its budget. So to say that that was missing is a lie, and it's stupid. Now, do I think we should target some of the prosecution funding? Sure, I'm for it. Do I think we should target uh, subpoena authority? Do I think we should target the ATF and weaponization on pistol braces and universal background checks? Of course. We can't even pass a, a Justice Department funding appropriations bill right now because of the disagreements uh, trying to figure out how to get a top-line spending level in some of these key provisions across the 218 in the conference. So everybody out there in the Twitterverse, which again, isn't real, uh, it's a lot of bots and a lot of pay for play, uh, but for the people out there listening to this radio program who are on Twitter, and you wanna know what the truth is, the truth is a 30-day CR, it's not really a CR, it's actually a funding of an 8% cut alongside DOD funding that would have rooted out woke and weaponized stuff uh, and, and, uh, and uh, secured the border, that would have been a giant step in whacking DOJ with 8%. And then we tried to use that as a leverage point to go get CGS appropriations, that is the Justice Department's appropriations bill, with all of the things that we want to go try to stop Jack Smith. But here's another thing. Everybody said, shut it down. Jack Smith won't get funded. That's a lie. 
you're stupid if you believe it. Jack Smith will be deemed an essential employee, just like every shutdown in the past. Prosecutors are held on. Robert Mueller was held on during the Trump shutdown. He would stay doing what he's doing. Don't be stupid. Don't listen to all of the noise out there. Understand the facts. Some of us are trying to fight to get actual wins. Yeah, don't be stupid. I think that is the perfect motto for everyone who is looking uh, to divide rightly truth from error, especially on social media, is uh, don't just believe that, you know, you can magically do anything through a 30-day funding extension um, and so forth. And and just in the last two minutes I have with you, uh, Congressman Chip Roy, and I so appreciate your time. Thank you for fighting on Capitol Hill for being a tried and true conservative. Um, I wanted to get quickly your reaction as well um, to President Trump's comments on abortion, because I know that you have been a committed pro-life advocate. Yeah, well, I appreciate that question. Uh, importantly, you know, we just introduced, by the way, funding, or I'm sorry, Bill, to, um, uh, uh, you know, get rid of the FACE Act um, and to repeal it, which has been abused, as you know, as a lawyer, uh, abused in targeting pro-life activists, um, talking about a weaponized Department of Justice. Uh, we're going to be fighting for that. FACE Act funding is something I'd like to target if we could ever get to the appropriations bill. But President Trump, uh, with all due respect, you know, I know, and look, great credit for what we got out of the Supreme Court and, and appointing people willing to, you know, stand up on the law uh, and, 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 and return the issue to the states. But when someone says that it was a mistake, a mistake for Governor DeSantis and other similarly aligned governors to pass a heartbeat bill, you just stuck it in the eye of the entire pro-life movement. You just said that the pro-life voters and activists and people who worked their whole lives in Florida and across this country, you just stuck it in their eye saying they were wrong, that it was a mistake. And more importantly, for the baby that's, whose life was saved because of that bill, you just minimized that life. You just said it was a mistake that we save that life. If someone tells you things, you should believe them. If you're listening to what the president, former president, is saying about that, know what that means for a second term. And understand and look back at the other things you should believe, like spending $6 trillion we didn't need to spend. Like, I don't know, giving an award or a medal to Tony Fauci for all of his work in shutting down the entire economy, putting our kids in the corner of schoolrooms. How about do you want to celebrate your VEX, you know, warp speed and all of the mandates? He's out there saying how great it was. I never get the credit. Oh, don't worry. I'll give you the credit for shutting down the biggest economy in the history of the world. How about cutting a deal with Paul Ryan in 2018 for a terrible border bill, leaving our border wide open and exposed with no policy changes because he took the easy road. I could go on and on. We put our faith in principles, Jenna, in freedom and in the power of the American people when left unfettered by government. We do not put our faith in princes. We should do our part right now to um, remember that. And I know I am in the primary, and that's why I obviously support Governor DeSantis. 
Well said, uh, Congressman Chip Roy, and we do need to be principled first. And uh, frankly, I would love to see Governor DeSantis lean into this moment and to to make this his issue and say he will become the most ardent pro-life advocate uh, and embrace that title and say that um, he'll do even more than President Trump in the midst of these comments, because as a principled conservative, um, that's what I would love to see. Let's lean into the Dobbs decision. We have an opportunity to fight for life. So thank you for everything that you are doing. And uh, we will be praying for you. And we'll be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. The medical establishment has been playing God with the lives of innocent babies for decades now. Many have grown callous because it seems surreal to think that over 64 million babies have been lost. Preborn will not stand silent, nor should we. We cannot stand by and let babies die at the hand of abortion. That's why Preborn exists, to stand up for those who cannot defend themselves. The only defense for these precious babies is their heartbeat, which begins at just three weeks and can be heard on ultrasound by five weeks. When a mother making that ultimate choice hears her baby's heartbeat and sees the precious life inside of her, the majority of the time she will choose life. By sponsoring an ultrasound for a mother, you are being the voice of the preborn. Please join Preborn in the cause for life. For just $28, you can be the difference between the life and the death of a child. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby or go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And speaking of the abortion topic, this is still, uh, I think, going to be in the news significantly. And um, uh, like I said to Representative Chip Roy, I think that this is something and a moment that not only uh, Governor DeSantis should lean into, and if I was advising him or uh, his campaign, then I would say as a Christian conservative and as an evangelical values-based voter, uh, to lean into this moment and to say very clearly, as uh, Governor Kim Reynolds out of Iowa has done, as uh, Governor Brian Kemp out of Georgia, who themselves signed heartbeat legislation, um, as well as Governor Mike DeWine out of Iowa, uh, which is what President Trump was criticizing, and also, of course, Governor DeSantis out of Florida, that it's not a terrible thing to have signed a heartbeat bill. I mean, that is just that is so completely the opposite of where our values stand that, uh, frankly, I thought that was an absolutely ridiculous and horrific comment. And to say somehow that you are going to uh, to sit down and negotiate with the Democrats and everyone is going to like you on the issue of abortion and that's your response to whether you would sign legislation that came to your desk, um, that then that is just living, in my view, in a fantasy land because the Democrats aren't going to compromise. It's always the Republicans. And President Trump has said since the Dobbs decision, which was such a significant win, um, it was a generational win, that conservatives can now argue the issue of life on its merits to then back off and to say that that was the reason that we lost the midterms. Um, and that that we need to be very careful not do anything on the federal level. So I was very disappointed in that as a voter. Um, I do think that that Governor DeSantis, who's the next um, obvious 
challenger for the GOP nomination should fully embrace this issue. And instead of allowing President Trump to campaign on this type of compromise and to have his comments saying it's a terrible thing that uh, heartbeat bills were passed and um, a terrible mistake while still just days before claiming and embracing the title of the most pro-life president ever, uh, then then actually show that he is running to the left of conservatives and values voters on this issue. And we have an opportunity right now to stand up regardless of who the nominee ultimately is and demand as values-based pro-life voters that this is an issue we will not compromise on. So I want to bring on now my good friend, um, Father Frank Pavone, because he still does support President Trump and tweeted um, just a a day or so ago, join me tonight, um, and this is now posted, for a deep dive into President Trump's position on abortion, why we cannot compromise on the goal of protecting each and every unborn child, and well, and why I and so many others continue to support him 100%. So thanks so much for joining me, um, Father Frank, because I know that you got a lot of uh, backlash on that position personally. Um, I defended you from a just credibility standpoint. I know you've been an ardent advocate of pro-life, and I hated to see people go after you personally with those types of ridiculous personal attacks. We should be debating policy, not coming after each other personally. I think that is um, that is the terrible mistake that um, all sides are making in this primary. Um, I've certainly been on the receiving end of that, and it's ridiculous. We we should be debating policy. But the question I have for you is, how can you reconcile his statements with your pro- position on pro-life? Because I don't see how any conservative can do anything but condemn saying that uh, heartbeat bills were a terrible thing and a terrible mistake. Well, thanks, Jenna, for having me. And thanks for defending me, too. Uh, we are we are friends and we are principled friends. And and I appreciate everything that you do. And I appreciate everything Governor DeSantis does, too. Uh, by the way, I was with him for the signing of the uh, 15 week bill. Uh, and then, of course, the following year, he signed the heartbeat bill. And uh, I, I was I was traveling at the time, but fully support, fully praise and laud and continue to work in other states for similar progress. Um, in answer to your question, I don't, you know, I, I served as as advisor uh, both in both campaigns, uh, 16 and, and 20, for President Trump on the pro-life uh, matters. And listening to everything that he has said uh, from that time right up until today, and especially in the light of the Dobbs decision, I think the whole movement is still wrestling with what do we do practically. And in, in my mind, Uh, I make the distinction all the time, and I have to make it in all kinds of meetings, not only with politicians, but with pro-life leaders and activists, between the principle and the practical. uh, In principle, you know, he, he constantly says and repeats, every child is made in the sacred image of God. Uh, and uh, deserves protection. Uh, He's furthermore saying this is going to be up to the states, but also there's a federal role. You know, uh, he he has said that, too, although he hasn't emphasized that. uh, There is a federal role, too. But acknowledging that Florida is not New York, is not Mississippi, is not California, he knows that, practically speaking, the American people and the American states are deeply divided on this issue. I have asked 
and many have asked him and his campaign for clarification on what he said. But, but you know, I've also said I don't I don't take my I don't form my view uh, of 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 his stance on a complicated issue like this. Uh, uh, complicated practically, not in principle, uh, from from Meet the Press. You know, I, I mean, it was, uh, it, you know, it's a statement that, that uh, you know, what did it take, three, four seconds uh, for him to say that? I, I, I think, you know, one of the things about the uh, this primary and every election, it, it shows how, you know, how it just brings out the worst in people, and, and, and it makes us so reactive against one another. I don't agree you know, with the idea that, oh, the heartbeat bill is a bad idea. Of course not. Um, we can never, protecting, you know, but a lot of pro-life, pro-life leaders and pro-life strategists would say it's a bad mistake because it doesn't protect the babies earlier than that. And you know, we've got states that are, you know, passing laws to protect them from conception. And that's, of course, where our principle lies is that, you know, a human life is a human life from, and it gets human rights, right? Human rights begin when human lives begin. So we're all wrestling with the practical question of a what kind of what kind of bill should there be? Pro-life leaders themselves disagree on that. You know, I've been in all kinds of meetings where pro-life leaders will say heartbeat is a bad idea, protection from conception is a bad idea. Not because they disagree on the principle, but they disagree that they can get the legislative support. And then you add the political dimension. You know, uh, what I heard President Trump saying was. That politicians, and obviously he's attacking DeSantis. I personally applaud DeSantis, but 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 obviously he's going to be attacking DeSantis in the course of this primary. But I hear him saying that it's a political mistake to say to the country that we want to um, uh, ban abortion that early. It's not a moral mistake. It's a goal we need to get to. But you know we can disagree politically on what the what the right what the right strategies are. I don't think the whole pro-life movement has gotten a footing yet on um, uh, you know on uh, on the best political approach. So that, <laughs> I'm putting a lot of different ideas together very rapidly here. But Jenna, those are some of my initial thoughts. Yeah, and I, and I think you know, and I can appreciate the fact that the pro-life uh, community is still wrestling with the best way forward. And frankly, I think that you know, since we had um, so long, we had you know, decades and decades of what, what fifty-two years since Roe versus Wade, we should have been uh, together on more of a consensus on how to move forward and having some strategies in place. Um, but we do have this issue of the GOP nomination, and and I think that your um, your position, at least insofar as you are, you are not attacking Governor DeSantis for what he's done, or any of the other governors that have signed heartbeat legislation, while appreciating what President Trump has done in the past for the pro-life movement. I think that's a legitimate and fair and honest position that conservatives should take. Is that regardless of the politics, we should appreciate anyone who um, who has actively moved forward the pro-life movement. I do think that it's, um, and I would push back a little bit on the the type of parsing that I think is a very generous interpretation of what President Trump did. I mean, he's no stranger to the media. He knows when he goes on Meet the Press, they're going to attack him over this. And, you know, it's the same thing as with uh, with Megyn Kelly, even when sh- she asks him, can a man become a woman? And, he, you know, and then and then hymns and haws, but then says, in my opinion, that's not a matter of opinion. And, and it seems like he's overly politicking to not offend some of the moderates, uh, perhaps in independence in a general election, that he's forgetting he needs to win the primary first. Right. 
Right. Yeah, and that's always this is always a, a challenge on both sides of the aisle, isn't it? It's like appealing to the base uh, versus appealing to the uh, to the whole country. And and I mean, I don't know, you know, how how these how these these candidates do it. Actually, I mean, it's it's always you're, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna lose people either way. But the bottom line is you so have be to principled. be you have to stick, to stick to principle, and you have to be clear on it. And uh, for the public who do not go along with it. You've got to persuade, and you've got to lead, and you've got to try to persuade. And uh, I do think, too, there's a difference between you know, per- per- persuasion, what we do to get people to the point of realizing uh, the right position on these issues, uh, versus considering what kind of specific policy is doable right now. And again, it's that, it's that constant tension between the principle and the uh, and the uh, and the pragmatism, but I think you know I think we can all agree uh, that you know President Trump needs to and I, and I believe he will speak more to this to, to specifically to what he said in that interview and clarify it more fully because because people you know deserve to know you know exactly what are you saying and but let him say it on his own terms you know outside of the pressure of an interview like that just just sit down with the american people and, and you know lay out what you think and if you're not sure where we should go on abortion policy well okay you're not the only one but let's let's hammer it out. See, I hear him calling on the American people to engage this issue. As we know, there are many politicians who run away from it. Governor DeSantis does not run away from it. Uh, many of our Republican friends do not run away from it. Some do. Uh, what I hear President Trump saying is uh, Dobbs and, and the fall of Roe v. Wade have put us in, and he chooses the word negotiating position. Now, I agree with you and, and you know every principled pro-life person. You don't negotiate the right to life. This is a fundamental right. Your life is protected. My life is protected. I don't want a public policy that says my life is protected in Florida, but not in New York. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, and it's, so it's understanding the nature of the right itself is fundamental and non-negotiable. Again, I, what I hear him saying is we've got to negotiate of how far can we go at the present moment in America on policy. And as I say, pro-life leaders themselves disagree on that. So we've got to, but, but, but to say, let's engage it, let's hammer it out, let's wrestle with this issue is a far better position than um, to say, oh, well, let's be quiet about abortion or let's leave it alone. Some politicians on the Republican side are cowards. And of course, those on the Democrat side, they're rushing to embrace more and more and more abortion. And that's completely out of line with where the American people are, as you know. Yeah, well, you're very right, uh, Father Frank Pavone, that this is a fundamental right. It is a key issue. It is non-negotiable. And if that interpretation of what uh, former President Trump said in terms of the, the right being fundamental, but we have to figure out our policy way forward, then he needs to be more precise on that. And and I, like you, right. would love to see him clarify that. And I'm glad that yeah. you are um, still in you know, the circles of, of being able to encourage other pro-life advocates um, to to ask him for that. Because I think that evangelical and faith-based and Catholic voters, anyone who is pro-life, I mean, even, even the atheists that are pro-life, anyone who understands the right to life being fundamental needs to understand before 
we all cast our vote in the primary or before Iowa goes to caucus, uh, where these individual candidates stand on this. And I think there has been um, legitimate question as to where President Trump is. We all understand and appreciate what he's done in the past, but this is a new election and he can write on his record, but he also has to be very clear. And, you know, I would have appreciated it if he had approached that question saying, well, you know, as I've said, every uh, life has inherent dignity and worth and, you know, is God given and, and all of that great rhetoric and then said, but from a practical side, let's talk about how we move forward. I mean, that to me would have been a great answer, clarifying exactly what you're saying. So I do think that yeah. this is something that we need to continue to talk about instead of just brushing aside and saying, okay, well, you know, since there's some disagreement here and that wasn't such a great interview for him, then we need to just, you know, stop talking about it. I've been very grateful that you, um, Tony Perkins, um, Lila Rose, Abby Johnson, I mean, all of the great pro-life advocates, I know there are more that I I didn't say, are, are ardently out there saying we need to push this. This is our opportunity to advocate on the merit of pro-life. And I know that that means something um, so dear to you as well. And in just the last few um, seconds here in this segment, um, Father Frank Pavone, I really appreciate the fact that you and I can have these conversations. We can agree and disagree, but at the end of the day, still be principled friends. So thank you for that and for your advocacy. You are the, you are the best, Jenna. You're the best. <laughs> you are too. Thanks so much. We'll be right back with more. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And we're going to do a little bit more of a deep dive into uh, something that uh, Representative Chip Roy mentioned earlier on the show, which was about uh, the FACE Act and how that is being used to weaponize the DOJ against uh, conservatives and uh, pro-life families. And so the FBI Washington field uh, office on social media announced on September 18th that three defendants were convicted of the federal civil rights conspiracy and freedom of access to clinic entrances or the FACE Act for offenses for obstructing access to a reproductive health services facility. And our good friend Mike Davis, who is the founder of the Article 3 Project and an ex Excellent attorney uh, posted this outrageous. The Biden DOJ imprisons Christians for praying outside of abortion clinics, but this gives amnesty to paid abortion activists obstructing justice by threatening and intimidating Supreme Court justices and families outside their homes and trans terrorists destroying Catholic churches. So Mike Davis joins me now. And, um, you know, this this is just another example of the weaponization of government and this two-tiered system that it is providing amnesty for those they agree with and then targeting and attacking and manipulating the law against Christians who are pro-life and who actually want to uh, exercise their fundamental freedoms, Mike. That's exactly right. And as you know, Jenna, I'm a Trump supporter. You're a DeSantis supporter. And I've been defending against this lawfare against President Trump for over a year. And the reason I'm doing it is, as I've argued for over a year, is this Democrat lawfare is not going to stop with President Trump. He's in the way. Not only are they going after Trump Trump himself and Trump's top aides, his former attorneys like you, 
his supporters on January 6th, they're going after parents in Loudoun County who are outraged that a transgender student raped a girl in a bathroom, and then the superintendent in the school knew about this and quietly covered this up and transferred this transgender student to another school where he raped another girl in another bathroom. And we're seeing this with the FACE Act. The FACE Act was passed by Congress back in 1994. I I can't believe that Senate Republicans went along with this and gave them the 60 votes they needed to pass this legislation. And, you know, the FACE Act, how they were supposed to pass this, the compromise was that not only does it protect these abortion clinics, uh, Planned Parenthood and other abortion clinics from people protesting outside of these abortion clinics, pro-life Christians protesting outside of abortion clinics, praying outside of uh, abortion clinics. It's also supposed to protect churches and other places of worship around the country. Well, with the uh, predictably with the Biden Justice Department, which is really just a continuation of the Obama Justice Department, on steroids, you have Attorney General Merrick Garland, Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco, Associate Attorney General Vanita Gupta, and Assistant Attorney General for Civil Rights Kristen Clark selectively enforcing this, where they're turning a blind eye to transgender terrorists out in Washington who terrorize churches, Catholic churches and other churches around the country, yet they're going to go after elderly Christians who are protesting outside of abortion clinics in D.C. They're putting people in prison over this for uh, for praying outside of abortion clinics, and it's outrageous. It, it absolutely is. And I'm speaking with Mike Davis, who is the founder and president of the Article 3 Project. And um, you do such great work, Mike, in, uh, in in not only commenting on this, but also in practicing law and to advocate um, against the weaponization of government. And one of the things I appreciate about how you opened this was, you know, whether you're a Trump supporter like you or a DeSantis supporter like me, I mean, I, I want to see the best for our country and the fact i mean we we agree i think on you know 99% of the issues and so i think the the travesty in the primary is that everybody is is kind of drawing lines to say you know well you're not really a conservative or you're this or that if you know if you support Trump versus DeSantis versus somebody else rather than focusing on what we all do agree with which is that this weaponization of government against all conservatives needs to stop and this isn't going to stop and it hasn't stopped with just targeting President Trump it's not like if they could get him out of the way this is going to stop because it hasn't stopped and so, so Merrick Garland, um, the attorney general, is scheduled to testify today uh, during the House Judiciary Committee. And uh, is any of this going to be brought up or what would you like to see? Um, you know, someone who's formerly served as counsel for uh, Chuck Grassley and, you know, you're very uh, intimately acquainted with how these types of hearings go. I would, if I were the House Republicans, I would grill Attorney General Merrick Garland about all this, how they are weaponizing, how Merrick Garland, as Joe Biden's puppet, is uh, weaponizing the Biden Justice Department to go after Trump's Trump's top aides, Trump's lawyers, Trump's supporters, pro-life Christians, praying outside of abortion clinics, parents at school board meetings. This is an out-of-control Justice Department. And the uh, the House Republicans need to make the case 
the day with Merrick Garland. And so the next step with, will be subpoenas for records, subpoenas for more staff depositions, for subpoenas for more testimony. But what, what the bigger thing that the, the bigger thing that the House Republicans can do is use this appropriations fight to defund the weaponization of the Justice Department. There needs to be two appropriations writers passed. No, number one, no federal funds may be used to prosecute any major presidential candidate on or before November 5th, 2024. So that cuts off, or that pauses Jack Smith's bogus investigation of Trump, his bogus charges against Trump for January 6th. And then number two, any state or local governments uh, that, uh, that uh, they're, they're going to cut off federal funds for any state or local government who prosecute that prosecutes any ma- major presidential candidate on or before November 5th, 2024. So that pauses the bogus charges down in Fulton County, Georgia, by Democrat uh, hack prosecutor, dumb hack prosecutor Fannie Willis. And I know you can't comment on this, Jenna, so I will too. I'll comment it for you. This is where uh, Fannie Willis is going after President Trump. And 18 others, including Jenna, for this bogus, outrageous legal theory called racketeering, where they're essentially, he's essentially turning, objecting to a presidential election, which is allowed by the Electoral Count Act of 1887, and twisting arms politically and advocating for your client, which is allowed by the First Amendment and, and allowed by our legal system. That is somehow being criminalized with racketeering, and it is truly outrageous, and House Republicans can cut cut off funding for places like Fulton County, these de- third-world Democrat hellholes like D.C. and Fulton County, Georgia, Atlanta, Georgia, that are prosecuting their political enemies because they fear they can't win the next election. Another thing that House Republicans can do is use what's uh, – they can use the Holman rule to cut off the salaries for these – federal officials who are uh, egregiously violating uh, American civil rights like they're doing with these Christians praying outside of abortion clinics or these parents at school board meetings, the the House Republicans should cut off funding, cut off the salaries for Benita Gupta, Kristen Clark, Matt Graves, uh, David Sundberg, who's the uh, the special agent in charge, the assistant director of the FBI in charge of the Washington field office. It's time for Republicans to fight back against this lawfare. Uh, Republicans have largely rolled over and played dead since the Mar-a-Lago raid last August, and it only emboldens these Marxist Democrats. And and I think that's incredibly well said that uh, Republicans have just sort of rolled over and they're watching this happen and there's a lot of great rhetoric, but there's not a lot of great action. And, uh, you know, the the Congress does hold the power of the purse. And uh, why, in, in your view, is, is Speaker McCarthy not whipping the votes to try to get these types of writers or, uh, you know, or really doing anything other than, you know, kind of this um, impeachment inquiry that, in my view, you know, was too long in coming. Um, But it just seems like a lot of the attempts from the House and from uh, Speaker McCarthy are lending themselves to the more moderates instead of what the conservative base and what the rule of law should actually suggest. Yeah, that's a very good question, Jenna. And I have been a loud, vocal, obnoxious critic of Kevin McCarthy for many years because I think 
he's on the wrong side of the big tech fight. I think he uh, is too much of the, the corporate wing of the Republican Party instead of the populist wing of the Republican Party on the big tech fight. I wrote a Fox News opinion piece on this a couple weeks ago where I said, look, I've been a, a loud, obnoxious critic. I defended Kevin McCarthy on the debt ceiling fight because I thought it was unfair to hold him accountable for cutting spending during the debt ceiling fight because uh, I don't think Americans are willing to let their 401k accounts crash if we don't raise the debt ceiling. But I do think that Kevin McCarthy has an important test here during the appropriations fight that he needs to cut spending to pre-COVID levels and include these appropriation writers in the in the budget, essentially saying, look, as House Republicans, we're going to give the federal governments the we're going to give them the funding it needs and nothing more. We're going to put the federal government on a crash diet because it's been out of control, especially since covid. And if we give the federal government money, it's going to go by. It's going to play by our rules that the American people want. These writers where we have like 60 or 65 percent or more of support, for example, we're not going to use federal funds for transgender surgeries and pills, these this gender-affirming care, as these leftists call it, for prisoners or for kids. We're not going to have our weaponization of our Justice Department and law enforcement agencies to interfere in the presidential election. We're not going to prosecute uh, major presidential candidates and their top aides and their lawyers and their supporters in Democrat hellholes like Fulton County, Georgia. There, there's a long list of policy writers that should be included. And the, the point I made in my piece was, look, either Biden, the Senate Democrats and President Biden can take the reduced budget that the House Republicans send them, the redu- reduced appropriations with these policies that are critically important to the American people, or Biden and Senate Democrats can shut down the, the government. They can shut down the discretionary spending of the executive branch. It doesn't affect uh, entitlement spending like Social Security and Medicare, but frankly, I think a country would be better off if, if uh, the vast majority of the of the federal government is shut down. Yeah, and, and I think uh, Mike Davis, who's the founder of the Article 3 Project and uh, former Senate Judiciary uh, Chairman and Staffer for um, Chuck Grassley, I think a lot of conservatives would say we are much better off with less government and the big bureaucracy that is the federal government is a is a huge reason that we have the opportunity even to weaponize it against Christians and against parents and against families and against everyone else that we've been talking about. So um, in just the last few minutes I have with you here, I think um, you know a lot of these listeners are saying, yeah, all of this sounds great. Um, so what can they do practically to help achieve that end and tell Speaker McCarthy, you know, maybe you need to, to whip a few more votes a little bit and manage the House in a more conservative fashion, appreciating the diversity of political opinion there, but understanding uh, why he's in that role and that the House does still, even though it's slim, still has a majority. Uh, I would encourage people to call their representative in the House of Representatives. Call 202 202- Two two four three one two one two zero two 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 four three one two one. That's the U.S. House switchboard operator. Tell them 
your zip code and they'll connect you with your representative. And you can tell the staffer of the representative's office when you call to say, look, we need to cut spending to pre-COVID levels. Our federal government is out of control. We must cut spending in this appropriations process, and we need to include uh, the Article Three projects policy writers. And if you just say those, if you just say cut spending to pre-COVID levels and include Article Three project policy writers, they're, they're going to know what you're talking about. And uh, I, I've worked on the Hill. Like you said, I worked for Senator Grassley. I opened his mail right out of college and helped answer the phone right out of college many, many uh, years ago. And then I was his chief counsel for nominations, uh, you know, 17 years later. I'll tell you that these phone calls from constituents back home make a huge difference for these members of Congress, whether they're in the House or the Senate. If people are particularly eager, they should call both of their home state senators as well. You can call that same number, 202 224 Three one two one, and ask for both of your home state senators if you really want to go the extra mile. But this budget is important. We need to change the trajectory of our federal spending. We need to change what our federal government is doing. This is this what the federal government is doing today is exactly what our founding fathers feared. This is the definition of tyranny when the federal government is so big, so accountable. Uh, unaccountable, so out of control that it's going after parents in school yeah. board meetings in Dalton County and going after Christians and imprisoning them it's, for praying outside of abortion clinics. It is outrageous. And and I appreciate, Mike Davis, that you are, uh, you know, this vocal advocate and uh, being obnoxious is one of the reasons that I love you and support all of your work at the Article 3 Project. So continue that. Thanks so much. And we'll be back tomorrow with more of Jenna Ellis in the morning. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Preborn. When a mother meets her baby on an ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection. And the majority of the time, she will choose life. But she can't do it without our help. Preborn needs us, the pro-life community, to come alongside her. One ultrasound is just $28. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or visit preborn.com.